Welcome to the Simon Short Podcast. I'm Simon Short. He is back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it is Muhammad Mehdi. We are we're diving back into fandom. We're, we're taking a little break from sports. It's the middle of the summer. What do you want? There's only so much sports we can, we can do, unfortunately. Um, so we're here to talk all things fandom right now. It's the middle of July. A lot is happening in the world of Marvel and Netflix shows uh, and just a lot of stuff is out there we need to talk about. So Muhammad is back. Muhammad, what's up, man? How you doing? What's going on? I'm a little overloaded with content, but excited to be here. It, it's, it's perfectly placed where the content is happening all summer long. And that's right when the sports zone gets really, really boring. I mean, I spent last week at least an hour trying to search Twitter if Chet Holmgren was actually a 90 <laughs> in 2K or not. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but that uh, really threw me for a loop. I think it was like 2 a.m. I'm sleep deprived. I, I don't couldn't really tell if it was true or not, but enough people were mad. I found out it was fake. Um, so yeah, I I need to stop talking. Baker Mayfield just got traded. I didn't right. do anything. I didn't do a podcast. I didn't do a YouTube video. I didn't do an article. I don't care that Baker Mayfield got traded, guys. Let's stop talking about it. Instead, like I said, let's talk about some other things. So so a lot in the world of fandom right now, uh, MCU fans, Miss Marvel just released its final episode of season one. Uh, it's Wednesday, July 13th as we record this. So it just dropped this morning. Um, Muhammad and I are going to talk about pretty much everything related to Miss Marvel. We are probably essentially going to give away everything that happens in the show. So if you haven't seen it, be sure to skip past that part of the podcast. I'm going to have the timestamps down in the show notes. So make sure you read that first. Um, that's going to happen in the middle of the show. Um, we're going to talk about Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, movie came out last week. Uh, so if you're listening to a podcast and the podcast this niche about it, then you probably have seen the movie. Uh, if you haven't, again, come back later. Um, and then Umbrella Academy, uh, the, the season three dropped a couple weeks ago now um uh, on netflix it's a show that muhammad i got you on umbrella academy right you came to my house and, and saw that the first time no i i think i just saw it on my netflix like the little algorithm got me and i i benched it i think in like two days did we get we got zach into it then that's what happened i think so yeah because i remember showing it you were there when someone saw it for the first time so umbrella academy is a really really cool show if you guys don't know about it it's where we're going to start here at the top so just a quick rundown of Umbrella Academy. It's a comic book run uh, through Dark Horse Comics. So if you know you're into comic books, you're into comic book stories, but you're maybe marveled or DC'd out, uh, Dark Horse Comics is kind of where you might end up. Um, it's a really really interesting run of comics there, and Umbrella Academy became a Netflix series a couple of years ago, and it's essentially seven kids are born with powers. Uh, a, an eccentric billionaire adopts them, essentially buys them off of their parents because they came about unexpectedly. They, they, it was a bunch of kids around the world. When season one came out, the, the opening sequence had it listed as 43 kids were born on October 1st, 1989. Um, the interesting part about that was the mothers were not pregnant that morning. So something was in the air that day, and these kids were just magically born by the end of the day with, with gifts. Um, we'll, we'll talk about why that number might have changed here throughout this uh, episode, but these seven kids happen to get adopted by this eccentric billionaire. They become superheroes, and uh, over the course of the show, they're stopping the apocalypse every single season. Uh, the, the funny thing when you go back in and think about it, 
so far these three seasons have really only occurred in like 30 days or less for, for these characters. They're, they're just hopping from one apocalypse to the other. So really, really interesting show. We're going to be talking about season three here, but make sure you go back and watch seasons one of two if you haven't already, one and two if you haven't already, because it's a lot of fun. Muhammad, can you just start with what you think about the show and what you were excited for coming into season three? Yeah, uh, I just feel like this is one of the, the easiest shows to binge on Netflix. Uh, I, I think they found a, a good formula of leaving it like a few, leaving a cliffhanger right at the very end just to tease you into the next episode. So um, I think uh, for me, just that, uh, that excite, the excitement and thrilling factor, probably the, the biggest for me. I think also the characters, they all have their unique personalities um, and their chemistry together, especially in the later seasons. I think two and three, they, they really come together and um, you can really see that chemistry on set so um, those are probably the biggest for me um, and then I'm a big fan of the story I, I think just the the, the stakes uh, and it's kind of like a, a pro and a con for me it's just I love the stakes of just like the world is about to end again <laughs> and again right like a, a, uh, and then on the yep. flip side of just like okay <laughs> we get it like the world is going to end and like even they're kind of like referencing the the idea that okay like here we go again this is our third apocalypse in what 30 days so um so yeah it's just uh witty the characters are fun um it kind of pokes fun at pokes, pokes fun at itself um and the soundtrack you know i i think you know starting from season one all the way to three like anytime they play a song you know it's gonna bop so it's just i think it creates a perfect like viewing experience and especially uh one where if you have like a home theater setup or you're you're big into tv shows and you have a setup uh, I, I think it's a great to just settle down and grab some popcorn and, and enjoy a few episodes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a weird, wacky show that I was able to get my wife into from day one, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and in rewatching the season, the season three, um, she was actually able to sit down and watch it again for the most part, even just a week after we watched it. So that's how you guys know it's good because my wife is a, is a stickler for these things and does not want, go back and watch shows again um the sound yeah the soundtrack is good anytime you can get uh you can start your season with a five minute like song and dance number in a show that's supposed to be about fighting and superheroes and the end of the world that's how you know the show <laughs> is like really in its bag because they're just doing the craziest things and, and it hits every time so real quick i'm just gonna go we're gonna dive into season three now so again if you haven't seen season three of umbrella academy yet but you've seen the marvel stuff and you're interested in umbrella academy Skip ahead, find where I, I wrote in the start of Miss Marvel, because that'll be the next topic. So, Mohammed, if you're in season three, just a quick synopsis of the entire season. We'll do it all at once here. The gang ends up in a new timeline. They're not meant to be in. We find out they're not meant to be here because little Harlan from season two ended up killing all of their moms, um, which is some dark stuff. Right. Uh, <laughs> real real dark timeline real dark timeline um kills all their moms they're not supposed to be here because they're not supposed to be here but they are here something called the kugel blitz ha has manifested itself in this timeline and is eating up the entire universe so that's the apocalypse they have to deal with they're doing all this while dealing with the sparrows who if you remember at the end of season two is who they run into at the mansion that they believe was theirs uh in this timeline instead of the umbrella academy being formed the sparrows are formed again it's of a different group of kids that were adopted and raised by reginald hargreaves because 
he claims actually in episode one, oh, I didn't want you guys because I met you in season two. It's actually because all of the Umbrella Academy was not was not born in this timeline. So uh, the the Google Blitz is here. It's going to take. It's going to blow up the universe basically because it's been uh, altered in a way that it shouldn't be. A um, bunch of shenanigans go on, including a wedding, including a Klaus training montage, including um, uh, Diego and Lila having a kid, then not having a kid, then also having a kid again. Um, obviously, the, the main thing at the top that, that I want to make sure we say first is we get an on-screen character transition. Uh, the character that we knew as Vanya from season one and two um, comes out and transitions as Victor here in the second episode. This mirrors the transition of Elliot Page that took place obviously in real life. I thought it was extremely, extremely well done because I was a little worried that we would just show up and Victor would be there. It would just be Victor and we wouldn't talk about it, which I would respect in a sense in terms of we don't have any issues with it. Here's how we're showing that and boom, it's here, deal with it. But I like that we saw the transition and, and Elliot got a chance to, you could tell, kind of tell his story about how he'd never felt comfortable in his own skin, how he finally feels like he is, is who he truly has felt he has been his whole life. Um, and to see, to get that moment, those moments where he got to do that and see the family all get to react to it and get to react in such a positive and, and loving way, what was brilliant. And I thought it was the best part of the whole season. Um, with that, what were your overall thoughts on, on the season? Um, on any of your, maybe in your favorite parts, uh, just what did you think about the, the season overall? Yeah, yeah, to add to your point about Victor, I thought it was done in a very authentic way too, in a manner that wasn't just like, look at us, we're doing something progressive. It was more of a, like, let's handle this authentically and be true to the actual actor as well. So um, I, I really applaud them for doing that. And, and, and again, as you said, in such a well, well done manner. Um, I think for me, overall, I enjoyed it. Um, again, it's just one of those that I was looking forward to the the next episode each time. Um, and again, the 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 pairings of the different characters I thought were really good. Um, and to to see the different dynamics, like Five and um, Klaus going on the road trip was just so a lot good. of fun. Um, and seeing all the adventures that they that they do, which like, you know, they're great all together, but even like separate. And it, it always seems like at, at some point they're splitting up into trios or duos. Um, and so it was, it was great to see that. Um, I thought story-wise, are we getting into nitpicks now? Am I allowed to or hold off? It's really or... hard not to, right? Because yeah. <laughs> there's so much that you love about this show. And, and you know, from just going through some of my notes here, I mean, we have the wedding, we have the training scene, we have the discovery of, of Harlan and what he went through his whole childhood and, and then how he affected this timeline and then how that affected everybody else. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because yeah, you, you, the two, I think the two major things that we have to talk about are nitpicks, unfortunately. I mean, for all the good things that are around it, and there's so many good things, every episode just leaves, is dripping with just all this energy and chemistry between every pairing or trio like you said they, they get mixed and mashed constantly which is just great they get the ability to play off of each other all the time 
but it's hard to not see the two biggest nitpicks. So, so yeah, let's jump right into that and let, let's talk about that for a bit. What, what, what did you have for, for the season? <laughs> well, I know you don't agree with me on this, uh, but I thought the uh, special effects were, oh were not the, the, the best budgeted. Uh, the CGI just felt a little bit, I don't know, I, I was wanting a little bit more and it, it just distracted me a little bit and took me away from the show um, a little, but uh, so yeah, that would probably be uh, one of them. Um, and then we had ta also talked about Allison and kind mm -hmm. of the way that they basically just kind of took her character and made her the villain for not even the villain, but just like an antagonist yep. for, for just their storytelling purposes, which didn't feel like her character in the first two seasons. Yeah. And like, <laughs> she killed the guy. <laughs> yeah. She's sexually Not just the guy. She, she killed Harlan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, big big deal. You know, betraying the whole family, making a deal uh, with, with Hargreaves. And so it was, it was just very much like, who is this character and why they're completely different? Um, and and I, I may be mistaken, but didn't she lose her daughter in the first season? Mm -hmm. and, and so. She, yep. Yep. In a way. Yes. Right. Uh, and so I know like her not existing is something else, but it just seemed like that was the line out of all of the tragedies in your life, you know, after experiencing right. two apocalypses. So uh, I, I think that was probably the, the biggest or one of the biggest nitpicks was yeah. just her character and, and how they just kind of removed it for what it felt like was to just move, add another interesting twist into the story. Yeah. For the story, Right, and this is this is where I try to base my my thoughts on. Does it make sense in the story? And in the story, Allison is a character who, in season one, is going through hard times within her own family. Right, she's separated from her husband, getting a divorce. Um, they have a child together who she's not able to see now or talk to nearly as much as she would like, or obviously as she was before. And she so she's dealing with the fallout of that. Then in season two. When they end up all going back in time and they're in the 60s, Allison's the only Black character in, in this family. So she's going to, and they were in Texas, right? So they're in Texas right. in the 60s, and she's a Black female character. She obviously went through the hardest part or, or had the hardest time in season two in terms of context and surroundings as any character that there was. And then we get to season three, and, you know, so she... In season two, she finds and marries a, a man named Ray, uh, who she falls in love with, but decides to leave to get back to this timeline where her daughter is and where her whole family can be together and happy again, only to see that Claire is not does not exist, is not born. Her daughter doesn't exist in this timeline. So if she's lost her daughter, she loses her husband, she loses her daughter essentially again. From a care from a story perspective, yes, that person you would believe would do anything to get things the way back they were. So if that means killing Harlan to try to get a briefcase to go back in time, that makes sense. If that means, you know, being mean to your siblings who you kind of feel like, hey, you know, Victor, you were the cause of the, the first apocalypse, which made us go back in time, which made me meet Ray, which made me leave Claire, which now made me come back to this other timeline because of Harlan. Yeah, I blame you and I'm mad at you. All that makes sense. The part that doesn't make sense First, again, from a story perspective, no matter what happened in each of those seasons, we saw Allison as an extremely strong mm -hmm. character who turned everything around and, you know, became better for it. Season one, 
she was the one able to reach out to Victor before he was able to end the world and, and try and solve that, mend that bridge before anybody else did, before anybody else attempted to do that. When everyone else wanted to lock Victor up in the basement, Allison was the one that wanted to talk, talk to him, work it through with him. Season two, I mentioned she goes back to Texas in the 60s. She doesn't cave, though. She becomes a, a very strong activist mm -hmm. in the community and is stronger for it and is better for it and is still one of the stronger members of the family. And then season three is when, is when it breaks her. And again, this is the time where she's, she's losing a child. So again, you would think, I want to see you fight and like say, okay, well, we've solved all this other stuff. We can solve it again. Let's figure out how to get her back. But you also can see where she would go off the rails. Outside of the show itself, and from a real-world perspective, we keep running into these issues where the, the female characters, the women identified the characters, constantly are being kind of a trope to, I'm losing my family, now I'm upset, and now I'm being the villain. We talked about this with WandaVision. Um, and it just, it just, it just bothersome. And it doesn't always sit well. And yeah, you also don't want oh, we only have one Black character, and she's becoming the, the antagonist and the angry one and, and all of that in, in this season. So that that's where you, you have the two sides of the coin. So yes, from a story perspective, I get it. It didn't feel like it just came out of left field that now she's the, a, a kind of a antagonist in the season. But you would just like to see them have a little more, hey, we could do this or we could not do this. We could say, okay, we came back to this timeline and Claire is gone. But instead of becoming a, an almost villain, Allison is the one that that spurs everybody else to get it together. We can still deal with Luther, like starting to feel alienated from the family. We can still deal with Klaus learning about his powers. We can deal with Diego, you know, the whole kid thing. There's so many other things they could have chosen to make a bigger issue than it was for the other characters rather than saying, oh, well, this is the time where Allison's going to snap. So yeah, I would I would have liked to have seen something else happen. But it is just, it is a nitpick because I do think from a story perspective, it made a lot of sense. I also think for for the actress or the actor that plays Allison, uh, Emmy, let's see, what's Emmy's last name? Emmy Raver Lampin, she killed it. I mean, it was a chance for her to kind of like shine because to, to see that progression it wasn't just zero to 60. It wasn't like episode one. She was, you know, knocking heads. She, it, it, it was slow. It, it built slow. Episode one, she doesn't know about Claire yet. So she's kind of just where everybody else is at. Episode two, she finds out about Claire. She's mad. Episode three, she starts drinking a little bit more. She starts uh, getting into more fights. I think season, or I'm saying seasons, and I mean episodes, episode four or five, she starts smoking cigarettes. Like you, you see this little progression as the season goes on and her her fuse is a lot shorter as the season goes on and her outbursts get bigger and bigger until the end where she tries to get everybody on her side. It it was very well acted. So I at least, you know, appreciated that part of it. Um, my my second nitpick, and this is the the big one for me, the story never, I never felt like I really knew who the true villain was, right? Who the number one antagonist was. The because Google when, <laughs> the Google, this floating ball of fire that kills everything. Um, so you mentioned at the top, the show does a really good job of, even though the stakes are always the world is ending, it make, the show makes sure that doesn't get stale somehow, right? And it's usually right. because there's, it's not just, oh, we have to figure out how to save the world. It's, 
there's something in our way to saving the world that we have to overcome first. So in season one, and I'm going to forget his name, but it was the character who was mad that he wasn't one of the, the Umbrella Academy right. kids because he doesn't have any powers. So they had to get through him because he was the one setting Vanya off or, or Victor off. In season two, it, it was the commission, right? We had to get through the commission um, and the handler to then make sure that the world didn't end. In season three, you think it's going to be Sparrow Academy. You right. think, okay, they're a clear mirrored image of Umbrella Academy. This is where season two ended with, with them kind of facing off. You thought it was clearly going to be, be then. By the end here, only two of them are even alive. The other ones are getting annihilated, you know, from seat, from episode three to the end. Uh, and they're never really at odds other than kind of arguing over trading, right. you know, hostages, <laughs> which, which they're taking every other episode. There's a new hostage. Um, and then you think, okay, well, oh, now it's going to be this guardian thing, right? Protecting this other dimension. And then it's kind of, okay, now it's, now it's just the cool. Okay, we've gotten to the point where it's just the cool, but it's all right. Now just stop that from happening. Oh no, it's actually Hargreaves, and it's kind right. of been him the whole time. So the inability to commit to who our true antagonist was kind of when you get to the end makes you feel like, wait, what? What did we just do? You don't really feel it until the last couple episodes, but you do start to wonder where this resolution is going to come from to feel like you got a little bit of closure on what just happened. But because they never really dealt with it, and it ended up being the, the big bad between them and the apocalypse was Hargreaves, because they never really dealt with him until the last episode, it, it didn't feel like you really got that payoff. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about there? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. There were, there were also competing storylines, like, you know, Klaus getting his powers and... Mm -hmm. um, uh, as much as I enjoyed it, but Diego and the kid and Stanley, and then um, the the whole Victor and Allison situation. It just felt like there were a lot of um, plot lines that they were kind of establishing, and and yeah, Allison was the villain, and then the Sparrows were the villain, and then the Kugelblitz, and yeah, it, it did feel a little bit out of sorts. And and then when you are in that final scene where they are about to lock in or Allison is with Hargreaves and they're about to um, uh, start Project Oblivion um, it just feels like okay they stopped that now what you know um, and like am I even excited for you know like I, I mean I was excited <laughs> don't get me wrong but like it, it just kind of left me kind of uneasy at, as we enter the next phase of the the next season. Yeah, you, you mentioned it there right at the end with, it was literally up until the last minute with, with Hargreaves before they actually stopped him. Like the last five minutes of the show are Hargreaves does this thing where it looks like he's going to win and everyone's in place and Allison's there, you know, and she decides to save the day and she, she kills him, right? Like, oh, that's over. Oh, yeah, we did it. We stopped whatever he was doing. And then you look up at the screen and the button was ready to be pushed to reset the universe. So it was like, okay, you didn't even have to kill him at that point because you like did you finished what he was doing. So it was just like symbolic. It felt it just felt like kind of empty at the end. Like you're like, oh, okay, what what really was that season if you if you boil it all down? Other than obviously all the great stuff and we hit some of them, but just all the characters playing off each other, 
learning more about themselves and their powers. I thought that was a really cool part of the season. Everybody seemed to, well, not everybody, a couple of characters seemed to really like get to another level with their powers, which was really cool. Um, I mean, we could talk about just Umbrella Academy for so long, but we do not have the time for that today. But what were what were one or two of your your favorite things, whether it was a scene or a, or a line or a character story um, from the season? Yeah, uh, I love the interactions with the uh, the Sparrow uh, Academy. <laughs> I don't understand the cube, but it's <laughs> kind of geek. The Sparrow uh, Academy was so wonky with their i mean real quick a quick rundown of all the fire state we have a luther basically we have a super strong guy who dies in the first episode we have ben who has his same tentacle powers mm-hmm. we have my least favorite tv show character of all time which is Faye, who can control <laughs> birds and, and <laughs> is birds are how she sees it's it's terrible it's an awful time um we have sloan who can control gravity uh we have alfonso uh, who can absorb like the, a beating basically, and it reverberates back on the person who who attacked him. We have a cube that <laughs> I don't know flies around, um, which in the first episode Diego was trying to kill with like knives, like he had this rock cube flying around and he was throwing right. knives at it. It was hilarious. Um, and then we have oh I'm gonna forget her name. She was only in it for two and a half episodes, but we we have number their number six who like shoots venom and makes people hallucinate. Right. I mean, if again, these aren't if you haven't watched Umbrella Academy, this isn't your Superman, Batman, Flash, like I'm super strong, I'm super fast. Even our Umbrella Academy has weird powers. Sparrow Academy is off off the rails with with their powers. Right. Um, but yeah, just their interactions, even though they slowly mm-hmm. died one by one. Um, it was uh, it was great. Um and I mean this is a, a little bit of uh, a nitpick going in. Not a nitpick, but it just Something that I didn't like was was Ben's character, um, yeah. and, and I think they were trying to get him to uh, like open up more, and it just never happened. And I think that's what I was I was looking for for that resolution for them to be a family. Um, but I did overall enjoy their incorporation, and I thought it wasn't too much of this. Like, okay, now there are fourteen main characters, so um, so I thought that was great. Um, and then all of number five's lines, I thought were just great like shout out to him for being such a great child actor like and honestly i haven't seen seasons one and two in a while um but like he just looks the same as he did in my eyes from the first season and i know it's been shot like three years apart so um but he's just he's been probably one of the you know the cast is great but he's probably one of the greatest acquisitions for them it's just he just steals every scene that he's in so that's uh that's aiden gallagher He's yeah. currently 18. So yeah, three, four okay. years ago, this, this is a 14, 15 year old kid um, who is tasked with playing a crotchety old man from, from the time we see him. So uh, again, he probably started the show when he was 14. He looks like he's 12 still, which is, is about the age I think he was when, when mm-hmm. he disappeared in the first season. Um, and he's playing this like 70 year old man in, in a 12 year old's body, essentially. And, and he, t- he does it so well. And he's so abrasive and intense but also he's the only logical one of the entire group so like you only actually want to listen to what he has to say even though he's a total like asshole pretty much um yeah everything he does is great I wrote down one of his lines that I thought was just so so good and it was it was to Victor um 
and he said it was episode seven and it was after their kind of whole run in when when it was revealed that victor knew harlan had had killed all the moms which is still just so funny to say it's the third or fourth time on this episode we've said it but um and, and is like trying to do all these things on his own victor and five says to him victor you know what they call a superhero that works alone a villain and, and that was such a cool line and for this show that so often blurs the lines between mm-hmm. hero and villain because it's it's not your classic superhero or comic book show where it's oh i'm the good guy i have to fight a bad guy it's very much just like what do we what's most important right saving our family or saving the world and what right. do we value what when is it too much in terms of trying to save the world and be heroes for, for a show that deals with that for him to deliver that line i thought was really really cool um all his moments you mentioned earlier with with Klaus, who's just like the polar opposite of him, but probably right. the next most important and most beloved character on the show, w- was just brilliant pairing those two together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the last thing we need to hit because although I, I was with you for for Ben, his character never got fully formed to me in, in this right. season. We have Ben is in the first two seasons of the show. He, he's in it as a ghost that only Klaus can see for you know. 80% of the first two seasons. Um, but even as a kid that died at the age of 12 or you know 10, let's say, and, and then just lived life as a ghost with one person, that Ben had way more depth than this Ben. This Ben was mm-hmm. just like, I'm angry, I'm number two. We also got a lot of unfinished storylines, you know, related to right. um, a, a character named Jennifer, who we don't know who that is still. We get two mentions of it with on the Sparrow side, we see Ben has pictures of, that he drew of Jennifer. And on the Umbrella side, we, it's called the Jennifer Incident. So it's related to how he died, I think. Right. Um, that never gets flushed out. We never hear about the time that Ben had been the number one of the Sparrows in the past and got devoted to number two. They, they mentioned that a couple times, but never went into detail. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they like ran out of room, ran out of time or episodes or something to flush out the character. But he really was just like... A moody teenager who was mad no one took him seriously but then anytime he had the chance to step up he he really didn't do it anyway so it was just kind of like all right you're just kind of a a grouch that that looks like the brother we knew so i thought that one was a bummer mm-hmm. um my my last favorite part that that i think we'll we'll end on this in terms of umbrella academy the class training scene yeah was just <laughs> was just brilliant i mean it's the best scene in the whole movie so is in i think i think also episode seven and so Klaus ha- is the character that has grown the most since since being introduced in season one. Um, season one, he's kind of just a screw up, uh, an addict who on- his powers are, at this time are only that he can talk to the dead sometimes. Um, and he doesn't want to do that because the dead are scary uh, unless, you know, you're Muhammad and you don't like the special effects, then they're not that scary. But so so he does all the, you know, does all of his drugs and is drunk all the time to not see the dead and doesn't have to deal with it. So he really doesn't have any powers for most of season one. Then he learns, okay, he can kind of reanimate the dead a little bit, right? So in C- at the end of season two, he reanimates Ben for a short period of time and he helps them save the world. Here in season three, we discovered from Klaus and Reginald Hargreaves helps him that Klaus actually has been coming back to life his whole life. Uh, all these near-death experiences that Klaus has, Klaus has gone through have actually been him dying and coming back to life. So Reginald discovers this, 
kidnaps Klaus. He, he kills him, puts him in his trunk. Klaus comes back to life. They go, and they're going to play a nice game of catch in, in the middle of a country road. Uh, and Klaus just gets annihilated by this bus and, and dies, and I think comes back, I want to say, like 13 minutes later. They do this all day. Klaus just mm-hmm. keeps getting hit by cars, which is hilarious. Like, all these cars can't can't look where they're going i guess they're not stopping (laughs) no one stops and wants to check on this guy they just did i guess reggie just waves them off or whatever but um gosh just keeps hitting it by car after car after car but he keeps coming back to life and he's doing it quicker and quicker and and by the end of the show you know within a minute he can be killed in action and and then is up fighting again and and kind of right back to it which is really cool so a, a really fun scene a really hilarious scene but also one that just to see the growth from where he was in season one to now, and now thinking about season four, how useful as a character he can actually be, I think is going to be really, really interesting. Mom, any any closing thoughts on, on Umbrella Academy before we move on here? Yeah, um, overall, enjoyed it. Uh, again, we're, we're picking a lot of nits, uh, but I, actually really excited for season four. I don't know that it's been picked up yet, uh, but hopefully Netflix can figure so. out its budget and uh, we get a season four. Um, but yeah, I did uh, have that thought of just like, they, I don't think they had enough time to wrap up all of these storylines. Like, I think there are a bunch of questions that I still have, like why October 1st, 1989, we keep getting that date, but why, how did they get their powers? Why these folks specifically, um, the Ben in the future that created the whole society or the organization. Um, like, where does that, like, how did that begin? You know, it just seemed like he said oblivion and then he died. And then, you know, we never get to hear how he actually formed the, formed all of that. So I just wish they had a little bit more time and maybe we're getting ahead of it. And that's what they plan to do in the next season or the, the following season. It's, yeah. it's still an ongoing story. It did feel like there were a lot more, strands that weren't pulled in this season versus the others and and it's kind of you know we talked about this i think after we we did our um multiverse of madness pod a couple months ago i think that's just where we're gonna be for maybe the next year or so in terms of tv and movies these last couple years is just Mm -hmm. with covid and shutdowns and then you have like a limited number of people you can have on set and things i do think just kind of threw off a lot of things when it comes to storylines so hopefully like you said netflix can just figure all their stuff out because we know they're going through it right now and hopefully umbrella academy can come back and kind of get back to where there were seasons one two i loved it it's a ton of fun like i said i was able to rewatch it in like a day and a half so it's still enjoyable it just had such a high bar of being having a really good through line in the first two seasons and it kind of straight away from that in season three let's move on to another show that had its series debut the, the first season of Miss Marvel um, obviously came out uh, on Disney Plus it, it, about six weeks ago. It just wrapped up today. Um, it's a show that is going to be obviously leading into the movie The Marvels, which will be coming out in the next, I don't who knows at this point, but year or two. Um, we'll, we'll see on that. But just, just a brief background, if you don't know the character um there have actually been i think four iterations of miss marvel but that includes captain marvel just in the comic book run um just to quickly talk about this show it's centered around kamala khan who's who's a 16 year old girl in jersey city new jersey she's a huge fan of the avengers and specifically captain marvel she's pakistani american um 
and is just trying to go through life and, and be a fan and, and do fan art, fan fiction, and, and go to AvengerCon and, and hang out with their friends, gets passed down this magic bangle from a family member, her grandmother, who it was her great-grandmother's, ends up getting magical powers and is now a superhero. Um, so it's a, it's a nice little, uh, what do you want to call it, like small town superhero story. It really is a very fun show overall. Um, and like I said, it is going to lead into some bigger things movie-wise. From, from start to finish, Kamala learns more about her powers, kind of fully fleshes out what her powers can end up being. We see her go from barely being able to create little platforms of light to walk on to creating a, basically a, a suit of armor with her giant hands, which are actually um, like the staple of her character from the comics. Um, and you know protect people and fight with them and, and all of that so she really fleshes out her powers we go through a few iterations again of some adversaries in, in this show i think it's pretty well done though overall um but obviously it, it's a marvel show we only got six episodes so again we're gonna have some nits to pick but muhammad first what were your overall thoughts on the show before we get into the nitpicks this time, uh, what did you what did you like about the show? Why should people, if they haven't watched it, watch it? And for the, for those that were fans like, like us overall, I think you know, what did we like about it? Yeah, well, I don't know if I've told you this. I probably have. Uh, I've been waiting years for a Muslim American Pakistani mm -hmm. hero, mm -hmm. right? Like I, totally. I think just the representation. Like I didn't know our society was ready for this, uh, yep. but. But it, it's great to see, um, and, and even like just little elements of the culture, um, her interactions with her family, with the Muslim community, going in the mosque and like portraying them in such a, a positive light, especially after the past 20 years of Islamophobia, mm -hmm. um, you know, the tensions in the Middle East and all of that and, and the negative connotation with Muslim Americans. And so to see even like the sheik in uh, mm -hmm. the, the leader of the mosque and, and just a funny and, you know, caring light, I thought was was, was powerful and important. Um, I also appreciated them going to Karachi. Like that's that's, all, totally. that's uh, where my family's from. Um, and I've actually visited there when I was uh, a teen. So it, it was really cool to see that. For, I'm not actually sure if that was actually Karachi because I know they filmed in Atlanta for Jersey City. So I hope that's Karachi, but even the fact that they referenced it and, and referenced some of the history of the the divide. Um, I think it was I think it was shot in Thailand, so so not quite, but <laughs> but I'm with you. I, the, the fact that the, the thought and like a, a name that I think if you're not super paying attention is is not a huge name, right? Like it's not the first like place in the Middle East that most people would think of when, when you talk about a, a character that's Muslim American, like you said. So I think even that, even if it wasn't there and couldn't, you know, contribute to, to the world there, just getting the name out there, I think was a nice little bonus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I also enjoyed Iman Bilyani's acting and enthusiasm for the role. I thought um, this was a, a, a great pick up for the universe and just the fact that she's a fan outside of, of 
of the role. And like, I think I read a, a link where she was kind of critiquing some of the Doctor Strange stuff. And so it was great to see that she's not just someone who just, you know, found an acting gig and, um, and is doing this for the money or, or whatnot, which, you know, if you are, do your thing. But it, it was just nice to have somebody that's an actual, that's actually a fan and that's engaged in this media for, for years and, and kind of uh, that kind of spills over into her character, who's kind of also a mega geek into the the their own the their own hero verse. So, uh, but yeah, I think overall, I, I just enjoyed the the six week journey that we had and um, seeing her develop and discover her powers and um, just seeing another origin story. I think it's it's hard, uh, or we we often don't see that, and especially in this uh, stage of the MCU where there are already these defined characters. Um, to, to have another origin story, to see someone else kind of come into their own um, and discover who they are, I thought was really cool. Yeah, the more we can add characters and the more we can add diverse characters, it's going to be such a big part, I think, of the MCU moving forward. So, so that, oh, just by itself, you know, regardless of, you know, what kind of critiques we have of the show is a positive thing. I, I like the, or I like that we have another origin story I like that we have kind of a small town hero. Now we're going to get into it. She's going to become big time very, very quickly. But it was fun just to have somebody who was dealing with learning to drive, being stuck at home, having to listen to her parents, deal with high school crushes, deal with friendships. It was cool to have that. It, it's kind of a, a almost, I don't want to say watered down, but almost like an even smaller time like Spider-Man story where the fun part about Peter Parker is that he's also a kid trying to just figure out what he's doing, you know, in life. Um, and, and for a lot of fans who are, you know, of that age, that's who this is going out to. This isn't for, unfortunately, the almost 30 year olds like us now or, or the 50 year olds who have been into this their whole lives. But, you know, the, this is for the, those kids in high school and those kids just out of high school who are still in that stage and really figuring this part out. And it, it does make for a really fun show. Now, um, are we ready to swing into the into the nitpicks a little bit? Let's, Let's do it. This feels very negative. Muhammad and I are not negative people. Um, we just I love our content just, so much we that just sometimes we have these higher expectations. We love this. And now I will say, and we'll get into this throughout this conversation now that we're in the MCU. I'm much higher, I think, on phase four and where we're at than most. But, but just grading within this show, there were a couple things that, that I didn't love. So for me in, in this show, actually, no, let's start with you, Mohamed. What, what, whether it's one of your nitpicks or, or your biggest one or a mm -hmm. couple of them, what was it about the show that left you wanting more? Yeah, uh, I think it just, <laughs> I, I just didn't see a clear direction of like, like the, biggest antagonist similar to the umbrella academy mm -hmm. you know we have the gin and the clandestines but that just felt so anticlimactic and then mm -hmm. you know we get into the last episode and then the the real enemy the whole time was damage control you know and like they were on the outskirts but like or like was it racism like you know because that one <laughs> the commander was racist uh -huh. uh, so yeah it just felt like you know where are we going with this i love that um you know, we, we got a new character in that she is in this process of self-discovery and discovering her powers and her family's history. And then it drags for a few episodes. 
and then it you know we have this big battle with the the jinn and then it's helping Kamran and then <laughs> it was funny you just kind of escaped in the hole and then went to the harbor and never to be seen again so um yeah it just felt like there could have been on her journey I feel like there could have been a little bit more that could have been there that that's more clearly defined that's the antagonist and um I I don't want to get into this yet but just like you know even the the end credits the the teasers the mid credits and the post credits it just love that but like are those is that the peak of the show like we watch this for this teaser right. at the end you know yeah it does make you a little pessimistic because yeah that point at the end there just I hadn't thought about it that way and it does make me nervous where okay we get our first Pakistani American superhero our first Muslim American superhero and then were were they just a vehicle to get us to, to mutants into the Marvels movie like that would really suck I'm gonna try right. I'm gonna as of now not not say that um but man that just depressed me a little bit so episodes episodes one and two and I'll, I'd say 90 percent of episode two I thought were brilliant I was so high on the show because it was just her dealing with getting powers, learning how to use them, learning how to be a powered person and within the confines of her family and within school, um, her, her religious community, all of that, and, and learning a little bit about her backstory. I loved all of that. I loved where it was going, and it, it felt like we were just going to get her origin story and build up to maybe one one little showdown at the end, right? So maybe throughout the whole origin story she's just trying to avoid getting arrested by damage control right she, she helps the little boy fall from the building in episode two but then damage control is like oh that's a powered person we need to get a hold of and she has to run away from them right and then let's say episodes three or four something else like that happens right just like stuff around or, or like damage control starts like following them around or being too interested in the mosque and she has to figure out how to get them off their tail basically something like that just within like her own life I would have been very happy with but at the end of season two Kamran comes to save her and he comes with his <laughs> with his mom which is just weird uh it's classic but, Pakistani American though the mom is going to be there with the teen high school that of course that's true uh with, with Najma and, and we get this rundown of Oh yeah, I've been I've been waiting to to meet with you basically. And then episode three, we learn all about all about the gin and the clandestines. And oh, we actually need you to help us save our entire world. And it's like, okay, this is a little heavy for episode three of the show that I wasn't sure we were doing. But then by episode four, they're all gone. Uh they they go they go um to and you know discover a little bit more backstory and, and meet with more of Kamala's family and have really uh, I'd say I, I really liked episode four in terms of um, everything with her family that happened there. And then also the red daggers and introducing them into, into the story. But, but then the big bad is gone by the end of it, you know, it, the clandestines are gone and, and it's like, yay, we won and we did it. And now we don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, and then episode five was unfortunately what you could see coming from from the very first episode right so we get a flashback which was really cool i really like the flashback of, of mm -hmm. aisha who is kamala's great-great-grandmother who is uh, who was a jinn and was the reason kamala has these powers 
we figure out how she got here, why she ended up leaving the clandestines to, to have a normal family, have a normal life here on Earth. Um, we find out how she was killed during partition and, and how Kamala's grandmother, the, the story that we've heard, I think, since episode one, where Kamala's grandmother got separated during, you know, everyone trying to leave and get on the train to, to leave. And then uh, the stars guided her back to her father. And, and when we hear that story for the first time and see Kamala's powers, we're like, okay, well, we're going to go back in time and Kamala's going to be the one to save her, right? So that even could have been the finale where it's like, you know, oh, I was I was it all along. And like, that could have been the great realization. But for that to be the penultimate episode and the entire episode was really disappointing because we could see it coming the whole time. So we, right. we built to this thing that we already knew was kind of going to happen. It was kind of, you know, not not a ton of fun right and, and you just kind of like okay well that episode was almost a wash because i could see this coming from a mile away and then we get that back to episode six and you know so now we've done all that where is left to go and oh let's just make Kamran like kind of emotional and upset with his powers when and you know when episode five ended and he gets his mom's powers you think okay he's going to be the bad guy mm-hmm and he's going to blame Kamala and they're going to fight. But then they throw you off for the next 20 minutes between the end of episode five and the start of episode six. And it's like, oh, no, that's not going to happen. And then they're like, oh, wait, yeah, it is going to happen. And it's just, yeah, that push pull again, not having a, a clear direction was really frustrating. If you could have picked one thing, right? Let, let's play armchair. Let's play Monday morning quarterback here. If you could pick one thing, whether it was learning about her powers enough to go back in time and do it and, you know, save her grandmother, deal with Kamran, who we even thought at, at episode two might have been the bad guy from the beginning or, or the djinn or damage control. Like, where would you have liked to have seen the show go to, to make it just a fun kind of high school origin story comic book show? Yeah, I think I would uh, lean into episodes one and two, like you were saying, like more of even like pre-powers, right? Like maybe she has the powers but doesn't know how to use them. And like mm -hmm. the obstacle is trying to figure it, figure herself out um, and also adapt to the culture. I think that's where the show was, was really at its peak was when it was um, Kamala trying to work this identity struggle. And I think that's something that so many of us identify with, uh, you know, work like living in two cultures or living in with two different identities or multiple identities and navigating that space. And, and I think, you know, of course it's, it's important to have a villain, but I think it would even be good if we're, if we're using this show to set up this character into a bigger movie, I don't think necessarily we need to have a big villain, right? So maybe mm -hmm. use this more so as a, uh, <laughs> not even just like a teen soap opera but like you know something along those lines where she's kind of like navigating through the high school space or navigating her relationship with Bruno and um, also learning how to use her powers while navigating through the issues with the mosque and uh, and mosque surveillance right like real life issues um, and not necessarily like this overwhelming uh, supernatural story that just felt that it, it, it tried to be too much um, so navigating those those, those cultural high school issues um, while teasing something like maybe mutants uh, or um, the, the villain in, in uh, the, the Marvel's movie coming up um, with, with a taste. Maybe she has a, a fight with a, a villain in the fifth or sixth episode. 
Um, but again, it just felt like they were trying to do way too much. And so to boil it down into a high school story um, about, a, 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 about a teenager that's Muslim that has powers and is navigating that, that push and pull. Yeah. yeah, very well said. I mean, those, those first two episodes were gold. After, after those first two episodes, and like I said, 90% of episode two, I was thinking this was on its way to being maybe the second best show we've gotten. Uh, here in phase four in terms of these Disney plus shows. Um, let's hit the stingers real quick first before we dive back into that ranking idea. I'll leave mm-hmm. you to chew on that for a bit. Uh, this is a podcast. No one can see Muhammad's face, but he raised his eyebrows at me. His eyes got a little wide. So um, <laughs> obviously that's not where I'm at now with, with the ranking after these last four episodes, but I, the show was on its way there from just the pure enjoyment of it. But let's get to the stingers real quick. So your, your mid credit stinger, just before her buddy Bruno goes off to Caltech, he tells her, hey, I checked your blood again because your brother wanted me to find out if he also had superpowers, which is just hilarious. It's a very brotherly thing to do, right? Um, and, and I'm realizing that it wasn't just it, the powers are inside of you. You have a mutation, basically. The reason this mutation is important is, first off, uh, realistically, it's, it's the first time they've uttered mutant or mutation or anything mm-hmm. like that in a long time. Um, because they're telling us at some point mutants and hopefully the X-Men are coming. So just be ready for that. Kamala kind of waves this off and says, whatever, it's just another label. I'm not worried about it. So I think that's also Marvel telling us don't get too excited, but hey, this is a mutant. And and that's interesting because the mutant or in human conversation around Kamala was very big at the beginning of the show. In the comics, Kamala Khan gets these powers through pterogenesis gas which makes her an inhuman. Uh, The MCU, Kevin Feige, Marvel, Disney has been separating themselves from inhumans as fast as they can because of the failed inhuman show that uh, has one season out on Disney Plus, which I actually didn't mind all that much, but apparently everybody hates it. And they're just like, we're getting away from this. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the the long-standing or long-running, excuse me, ABC show, also dealt with pterogenesis gas and, and MCU has completely distance themselves from that show as well so the mcu is like no no this is our hint to kind of tell you she's a mutant she's not an inhuman so they just wanted to make that very very clear i think um how 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 excited did this make you if at all for the possibility of mutants and x-men coming soon um excited but it just seems like they're just putting out breadcrumbs like like here's professor x Here's yeah. oh the word mutant like and it just and especially after like Doctor Strange where uh, like they introduced all these cool characters and then immediately killed them you know what I mean so I'm I'm like I'm just not getting too excited until I see an actual X Men film you know I I think I'm at yeah. that point and it's just like I see what they're doing you know what I mean they're 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 uh, dropping words and like doing these cameos and like they're getting the audience excited and it's just like I, I know that's your job to uh to to get excitement and that's how you make your money and, and all of that um and I guess the sinister uh the um the sin, sinister side of me cynical the, are you going for cynical, cynical? <laughs> there you we go. sinister strange Thank on you. the mind now yeah yeah <laughs> um but yes the cynical side of me is just like yeah they're just dropping this word to, to get more excitement out get you know get more of this ip and, and and again it's just like it 
the most exciting part of the episode is the stinger. Like, what does yeah. that leave your show with? And so I kind of just am not the biggest fan of just like, okay, I watch this just for the end credits to be excited about the next thing. And when the next thing comes here, oh, I'm just getting through this so I can find out what the next thing is, you know? So I just don't want to be in that cycle, but to not be all negative, Nancy, excited for potential X-Men. Um, I think it's going to be a very hard recast um, to if, they, if that's the route that they do, um, especially like Wolverine and uh, Professor X, Magneto, the, 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 the main ones I think will be very challenging. But I think once we get that, that collab going, I, I think it's going to be great. I'm with you. Show me, don't tell me. I'm, I'm tired of hearing about it. Show me the movie. Um, our end credit stinger here. We have uh, Kamala just got home from a day of probably looks like school and then superheroing. Her mom tells her she needs to do her science homework. Uh, the bangle on Kamala's wrist starts going crazy. She gets shot into her closet and then out pops Carol Danvers and, and Captain Marvel is here. We were, we were kind of waiting for it. Unfortunately, like you said, we should just be able to watch the show, but nope, we were waiting to see if Captain Marvel showed up. Um, it, it appeared, and I'll just I'll just get this part out of the way. So it appears, I know there's some, in the comics, Kamala has some shape-shifting powers, and she's turned herself into Carol Danvers at times in the comics. Um, what I felt like the show was saying, and, and what I think, you know, reading up on, on reactions and analysis articles and, and websites, is that they essentially like traded physical places where they were. Um, so so Kamala went to wherever Carol was and Carol is now mm -hmm. here in Kamala's uh, room, which makes sense based on the reaction. Carol was kind of just like, oh crap, what, am, what have I just done? Rather than Kamala being like, oh my God, I'm Carol Danvers. So right. I think that makes sense. A possible theory for, for how this happened, if you go back to the end of Shang-Chi and, and those stingers, Carol is clearly interested. Carol is there with uh, with Bruce Banner, who, by the way, is going to be in the next Marvel TV show, which is She-Hulk coming out uh, later this month, next month, soon. Um, and they're saying, "Oh wow, we we see you've discovered, you know, the Ten Rings. It's sending off this like energy, you know, pulse that that a lot of people are going to be able to to read and come look after." In the show, Miss Marvel, we we kept hearing about a second bangle that we never saw. In our flashback to Aisha finding the bangle, we see a symbol of the Ten Rings in the temple that they find the bangle in um, when she finds it on a Kree's arm. So all of that kind of screams, hey, Carol might have been out in the universe looking for the second bangle. Maybe she found it when she activated it. That was when Kamala's bangle started going off, and then they ended up switching places. Right. Um, that. All that's the like backstory and fan theory behind all of that. But Mama, what did you think about seeing Captain Marvel, seeing the swap, what it all means, and, and yeah. where we go from here when it comes to the Marvels movie? Yeah, I, I think like you were saying, we were waiting for her all season, right? Like, when is she going to come up? Like, like how does this connect into the to the next story? Um, so that uh, I, I thought was was kind of key in in connecting the story. Um, I think it's the the next movie is all, or the the movie is gonna actually I feel start in a fun place where it's probably Captain Marvel running down the stairs if she doesn't fly out the window uh, to the family and 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 that that uh, interaction. Um, but yeah, I didn't even think about the the uh, the the ten rings uh, symbol. Um, but kind of where I'm at is I don't know what the timeline is, and I, I think 
our, our, our friends at the ringer talk about this uh, a little bit on their podcast um, of just like, you know, Hulk is in the sling in, uh, in Shang-Chi, but then, you know, in the She-Hulk trailer, he's not. Um, and so does this take place before Shang-Chi or after? Um, and so China, and, and honestly, the rest of the phase four, like where, where does everything kind of take place? Is, it's kind of where my mind is trying to figure out. I also don't know what year it is. Um, I know last I remember the year was 2024 is when Infinity or in, at, in Endgame when they fast forward the five years. So uh, timeline wise, it's very hard to place things um, for continuity wise. So my guess is that this is before the events of Shang-Chi um, and then, you know, Marvels happens and then we pick up and a future movie is, is where um, all of, you know, we get Wong, the team up of Wong, Hulk and, and Captain Marvel and, and that post credit scene. So to do the rankings, here's a quick rundown of, of the shows we've had to this point. And again, these are all phase four. All, all the TV shows have been phase four. So we have WandaVision where we kicked off um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Loki, What If, Hawkeye, Moon Knight, and Miss Marvel. So that's what, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven shows. Muhammad, what is your, what is your ranking? Where, where does Miss Marvel fall um, in all the shows here? Okay, from bottom to the top? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, so Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, it, we were just talking, it just seems like it's kind of forgotten, like, I appreciated the some of the tones of it, but it just kind of seemed just actiony and trying to yeah. do too much. Um, Hawkeye's next, um, and then from there, What If, which I really enjoyed, but just mm-hmm. it just didn't hit the same as the, as the live action. But mm-hmm. do appreciate the storylines and how it connected. Uh, Miss Marvel probably number four for me. Uh, number three is Moon Knight. Love me some Oscar Isaac. Um, I know some folks didn't like it as much, uh, but I just thought um, just a phenomenal actor and seeing him play three different person, three spoilers, three different personalities, <laughs> I thought was just so, super cool. Um, WandaVision at number two, um, just because of the innovative styles, especially in the first two yeah. episodes and how each episode was a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then number one is Loki, like it yeah. just stands above them all. I thought it just had the most comprehensive story. Um, explain the multiverse well and of course king at the end um so that's my seven but yeah it's very hard i think number one and two kind of placeholders are locked in i think mm-hmm. the the bottom five can really switch yeah. in order yeah so. yeah with falcon and the winter soldier i'm i'm gonna agree i'm gonna put that at seven for now i need to go back and watch that because it's now it now feels like it's been so long since those first two shows came out. Loki was the show when Loki came out. That was the one that really was like, bang, this is everything it could be. This is what the shows could mean. This is how mm-hmm. well they can be done. This is how deep the characters can go, both new and returning. And it felt like it kind of reset our expectations of the shows. I mean, the first two, WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier, for me, were just, hey, at the end of the week you know come home relax kick your feet up and throw on some tv and then loki happened and you were like wait a minute this is something else so i feel like i've looked through everything with such a different scope all that said yeah falcon and winter soldier still seven for me um i i think i'm gonna have to put miss marvel six 
And, and again, this is coming from the guy who after two episodes, I was ready to like anoint this thing above almost all of this other stuff. But I think just the, the fluctuation between the storyline, what the whole point of everything was, and its actual place in the MCU, what it's going to be for, it is six. To me, those are my two like lock-ins for sure. I feel good mm-hmm. about those. The, the next one would be all the way at the top at Loki at one. Um, like I said, just kind of reset the whole bar. Everything you said, just phenomenal character development, storytelling, the way it fits and shapes that where the MCU is going, I think is also just so huge and such a big it's so important that I think it sets itself apart that way. Two through five is really muddy for me. Um, I'm torn between the creativity and coolness of what if, the the silliness and just like fun of Hawkeye, right? Hawkeye had the energy that that Miss Marvel should have been going for the whole time. Um, if they had done that, I think it would have been way, way better. Um, WandaVision at the time, again, I didn't think of it with the same lens, but now going back, seeing where we are today, you realize how important that was. And yeah, the acting in that was just phenomenal. The storytelling was great. Um, I, again, was not thinking about the show through these lenses like we are now. I was completely like shocked by the ending, right? Like I truly was thrown like, wow, like it's doing this, like the show is meaning this, wow, the characters are doing this, just like, was genuinely pretty surprised. Um, so I, I think that's right up there. Um, and Moon Knight, yeah, just, I think, fantastic uh, in terms of Oscar Isaac's acting. I thought the story was pretty cool. I thought it was a little hard to keep up with sometimes. Right. Uh, again, kind of that, mm-hmm. who's on our side? What are we really trying to accomplish here? You know, so I, I had some difficulties with it, but I think the main thing is, Oscar Isaac's just fantastic. So it just made it so fun to watch. I think I'm going to end up putting Moon Knight at five, uh, which I'm actually, I'm a little surprised about now talking it out with you. Um, But I think I'm going to put Moon Knight five. I think I'm going to put Hawkeye four. I think you're right. I think WandaVision has to be two. And I think I'm going to put What If three. I I really enjoyed What If way more than I thought I was. And I think they've already shown us that the elements in What If aren't just like, I thought it was just going to be like a fun little cartoon, right? And like, ooh, these are kind of cool. But they've given us elements of What If already in in movies, not just in other shows. Right. But, you know, we get, we, we don't get a zombie Wanda, but we get the Scarlet Witch, right? And, and, Looking like a zombie. <laughs> right, in the multiverse, man. So we saw that. We didn't get sinister strange from from i think the fifth episode of what if but we get a, an evil version of dr strange also in multiverse of madness um we don't get what else happened in there uh captain we, carter. We, captain carter first episode we might never actually get captain carter but we get captain carter again in multiverse of madness so it really just connects to that movie a lot but there's a lot of fun things in that show that i hope mm-hmm. they carry over and, and it just really surprised me Right. And like I said, Hawkeye just genuinely had a good time with, and I, I like the way they kind of pass that mantle. I like the inclusion um, of characters from what are going to be other shows. I just re- I like the way it was done, and it was fun. Moon Knight, I just had a few more, I think, nits to pick with it, so that's why I kind of put it a little lower. I'm, I, I am surprised by it, though. 
uh, putting it down there. But I think anywhere, kind of like you said, two to five, you could put them in any order, and, and I think I'm good with it. But I think Loki's clearly one. Falcons, unfortunately, clearly seven. And, and then, yeah, Miss Marvel, though, to get back to the main topic from today, where do we see Miss Marvel? I, unfortunately, I had really high, ex- not high expectations going in, but I thought it had a lot of promise the first couple episodes, but it just, it didn't quite live up to it for me. Um, I'm definitely biased <laughs> uh, to be in my heritage. So I was like, I can't put a, put her at six, but uh, I, I can definitely see it. Um, I was like, we're not in the bottom though. Um, I had to, I had to lift a, lift my, my people up. <laughs> there you go. I, I can't fault you there. I can't fault you there. Um, all right, let's get, let's get to the big part of the episode here. And it, you know, it's funny to say that we've been going at this now for almost an hour and a half, but um, your blank look on the look on your face and you're like, holy crap, it's been an hour and a half. Let's get to Thor Love and Thunder, which, which came out just last week. Um, the next installment of phase four uh, of the Marvel movies. I am going to do a quick rundown of the show here. So we open with who we know is the main villain of the show. It's Gore the God Butcher. Uh, which just a fantastic character and was so brilliantly portrayed, but we'll, we'll get into that. Gore the God Butcher, his world is ending. His daughter has just died in his arms. He's been calling to his gods to come and save them. He finally is called by the Necrosword to his god that he was expecting to save him. His god essentially is making fun of him and, and Gore uses the Necrosword to kill him. Now becoming the God Butcher, he has vowed to go around and kill all the gods he can with this sword. Thor is with the Guardians of the Galaxy. He's off saving a planet, which is a, just a brilliant scene, a lot of fun. Um, when he, you know, ends up at the end uh, of their time on that planet saving it, they they see where else they're going to go next. Thor gets a call from Lady Siv about Gore is going around killing gods. She's trying to protect one on this one planet. He needs to come help her. We go off uh, from space back to Earth where we see Jane Foster. This is comic book canon, actually, where she's dying of cancer and is trying to figure out how to save herself. Uh, not necessarily just with, with you know, our, the version of medicine that we know, right? Um, she ends up linking up with, with Milnir, going to New Asgard um, to, to see what kind of answers she can get from that. Uh, let's see, we go back to where he is um, finds Lady Siv on the planet she is at and he finds out from her hey Gore's going to New Asgard next so now Thor said it there as well he runs into Jane as they're fighting off Gore and his shadow minions Jane has been healing herself with Mjolnir as long as she has Mjolnir she is mighty Thor and she is whether she's healing herself or just saving off the cancer we're not quite sure yet um after they fight off Gore and, and his shadow minions who on the way out kidnap a bunch of kids from New Asgard, they're, they've regrouped, they try to figure out what are we going to do. So it's Thor, it's Korg, it's uh, the mighty Thor, which is Jane Foster, and it is uh, Valkyrie. They're kind of figuring out what they're going to do next. They decide to go to Omnipotent City uh, where there's a big meeting of all the gods. And Thor says, we can go there, we can build an army of gods, and we can go kill Gore the God Richard. Keep this scene in mind, because this is the big turning point in the movie for me. Um, They get there. Thor ends up talking to Zeus, who's the leader of the gods and and all the gods around, uh, and is pleading to them to come help us. The gods say, heck no, man, we're safe here. We're not going to go mess with that guy. We're going to stay here. But hey, you know what? We'll give you a little hint. Gore is probably headed to this place called Eternity, 
where it's essentially a magic well that you can go make a wish. He's probably going to wish for us all to die. So maybe go there and stop him for us and, and you know, we'll be okay. Um, Thor and the gang try to go to the Shadow Realm to find Gore and save the kids and stop him from getting to Eternity. It does not go well. They end up back at New Asgard. Then Thor turns around. He's going to go do it himself. Um, yada, yada, yada. They, they win. They find all the kids. You know, Jane sacrifices herself, essentially. They beat Gore. And that's, you know, the end of the movie. Uh, Thor ends up adopting, essentially, Gore's daughter, who Gore ends up wishing for at the well to return to life instead of to kill all the gods. And... Thor names her love, and that is Thor, love, and thunder, and they go off on, you know, new adventures together. Um, Muhammad, General Fox, what, what did you think of the movie uh, just just within itself for right now? Yeah, uh, so I enjoyed it. I um, We've had conversations about this in the past, but the Thor franchise is probably my least favorite in, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the existing sequels. Um, but I, of course, that changed when Ragnarok came out. You know, the first two were, of course, the, the weaker installments. Um, but then, you know, Taika Waititi comes in and, and makes Ragnarok a lot of fun. And and I thought that this movie had a lot of that same energy. And so um, to give you a little context of, of my viewing, I watched it on opening night. And so I, had, I was lit in the pack theater. And um, it, it's, it's always great to be in those crowds where, like, everyone gets excited. You see the, you know, all of the jokes and everyone's engaged and, and locked in. And so... Um, I think that for me is, is a large part of my viewing experience. Is is that is that crowd? And I know you saw it alone. Pretty much by <laughs> in, myself. In More people showed up, but yeah, okay. essentially, essentially, completely by myself and with people who I don't think really cared about the movie all that much. Right. Um, Different experience. Yeah, and, and so to to just kind of see the magic of, of movies like this, and and to kind of see all of the the big budget action and effects and jokes and um, Korg is always my favorite. Um, I, I've heard some folks think that he was a little too much in this movie. I'm always on the camp of like, you can't have enough of him. He's just, he's so funny to me. Uh, like the scenes in Endgame are just, are classic where he's on the Xbox. Um, so uh, I just, uh, um, I, I would say that's probably, um, well, big picture. It was just a, a very enjoyable film, um, I, you know, without getting into the nitty gritty. Um, I uh, did not like Natalie Portman <laughs> in the previous Doctor. installment, but I did like oh, her okay. as the Mighty Thor. Oh, I'm not going to be a okay. hater. All right. um, Very good. <laughs> remember when you and Mike put that Natalie Portman tape on uh-huh. my PlayStation 4? Uh-huh. It's a classic uh-huh. moment. Um, but anyway, it was, it was nice to, to kind of get that breath of fresh air and that uh, I thought it was a really cool way for them to recap their relationship and, and that little five minute bit with Korg recapping yeah. kind of what, mm-hmm. what happened in their relationship so I thought that gave context because honestly she just kind of disappeared after Thor the Dark World and we didn't get much context so um, it was nice to have that uh, little moment uh, tied back in and, and to show like kind of all of the losses that he's had and um so yeah, I think overall is is a is a great story, and of course there are always nits to pick and things to talk about. But I think at the end of the day, going to the movies, I feel that I got what I was expecting in the sense that I just wanted two hours of Thor and action and comedy and and core. Okay, better, better in movie exposition rundown storyteller, Cord and Thor: Love and Thunder. Or Luis, I was the Ant Man movies. 
you can't Luis is just a le- I, I mean of course like comprehend like a story that you can understand it, it has to be cord but if you're going for fun it's Luis man he's so good oh my gosh yeah no brilliant stuff um yeah I'm with you so I I like this movie I enjoyed this movie I thought this was a good movie the Taika Waititi of it all I know we're starting to wonder, is he getting a little too big for his britches, right? Is he throwing up too many heat checks? Um, I I think it's what Marvel needs right now, though. I think without it, because of where the greater concerns about the MCU are, if you don't have this person who's going to come in and, and essentially poke fun at what they're doing with Korg and Screaming Goats and turning Asgard or new Asgard into a amusement park, then I, you're taking yourself too seriously and you're drawing too much attention where if you're saying, no guys, all these movies are so, so important. Even if you don't know who the new Thanos is, you're going to lose a lot of people. So to have a movie that's very clearly just like, this movie's a hot mess, man. We're just here for, for you know the vibes of it and come in and have a good time. I think it's really important. So I really like this movie. I mean, Christian Bale was fantastic as gore the god butcher i would have liked more stuff with gore the god butcher and we'll get into that but i thought everybody just everything that they tried really worked where there may be a few too many jokes and a few too many silly things yeah probably you know but other than that i mean jane and and natalie portman as the mighty thor brilliant loved all that valkyrie uh did her thing. I would love to see more of that. Korg did his thing. Would love to see more of that. I liked the Guardians' involvement. I liked having them for five to ten minutes mm-hmm. and get into some action, where you know we we leave Endgame and Thor is joining them, and we're like, oh, they're gonna have this awesome adventure, and then we we fast forward and see them, and they're all a little sick of the guy, and they they can't wait for him to be gone, so they're they're happy to be out in the first ten minutes. I thought that was great. Thor's journey from Obviously, I mean, if you go back to Thor 1 being this, like, I'm so amazing, look at me, I take myself way too seriously guy, to Ragnarok being just, like, hilarious and fun-loving and and this, like, breath of fresh air to now being this, like, starting this movie, being a little empty-hearted and, you know, not really committed to anything to at the end being, like, you know, she calls him Uncle Thor at the end, but essentially being a parental figure was is really cool so i really like seeing that journey and, and seeing you know where this movie where this franchise can still go in terms of you know involving the gods uh seeing what they can get up to when when we're adding in all these other elements of, of what these other movies are facing i think is interesting so overall i really liked it i really had fun i'm with you um I want to hit you with again this so this isn't even so much a, a nitpick because I do like this movie. Is this is this Ragnarok? Is it Endgame? Is it Infinity War? No. It, it's none of those movies. Is it in the top 20% of of MCU films? Probably not. Is it down with, you know, Thor the Dark World and uh Iron Man 3? No, absolutely not. This is a good movie. It's up there. I have a pretty high in terms of phase four, especially. Here's what I think would have made this movie a possible 10 out of 10. And I and I kept the secret from you. I wanted you to hear it live uh, in front of millions of viewers. 
let's let's backtrack. Let's take the first half of the movie, right? So when I explain the movie, and we get to Omnipotent City, and we get to the, uh, all the gods in the universe are in one place. And I think that was a great scene. Everything they did there was great. I mean, Thor, you know, getting getting embarrassed in front of everybody, everyone being obsessed with Zeus, um, the Thunderbolt, the you know, embar embarrassing it, all, all of that, and then Thor taking the Thunderbolt and killing Zeus with it, supposedly. Brilliant stuff. The thing I thought this movie was missing was Gore actually going around and killing a bunch of gods and, and us seeing that, right? The way Christian Bale was doing this and the way we saw Gore fighting was so, so good. I just wanted more of that. I thought this whole movie was going to be gorgeous, literally butchering gods right in front of us, right? And we only really saw him kill one. We knew he killed another one when he went to the other planet with Lady Siv there. We didn't really see a lot of that. If in that scene, instead of Zeus looking at Thor and saying, oh, you have to go off on this other side mission, which is a is a bad trope sometimes in movies. It wasn't too bad in this one, but instead of saying, oh, you have to go do this other mission so you can beat him, what if Gore had just showed up? He followed Thor somehow, or you know, he, he knew all the gods would be here. Gore just showed up. What if he and his, his shadow minions just killed like half of the gods in there and just like completely went to town and like Thor eventually like fights him off again or something and, and now we're left with all these other gods who have to face the fact that this thing exists instead of just pretending it's not happening. And then from there, you get a select few who are, who sign up to fight. And then they go off and they fight Gore together. And then you see the other ones who are cowering away. If they had done that, you would have gotten Gore doing a whole mess of a lot of other stuff, which would have been really cool. And gotten a little more involvement from the gods instead of all of them being you know complete assholes so what do you like what do you think of that what do you think of the idea of we didn't did, do you feel like we got enough of gore throughout this movie what did you think about the involvement from the gods the scene at omnipotent city all of that yeah yeah i completely agree with you love christian bale uh love him as a villain love him love how he uh kind of puts all of his uh, like like puts us all in, in his acting. So um, I, I thought that, uh, uh, yeah, phenomenal, super excited. But yes, I feel like we should we should have gotten more, but I'm also thinking logistically, um, not only did we have the COVID-19 pandemic, but having an actor the caliber of Christian Bale, I'm sure he was on set for like two weeks or however long, <laughs> and also the makeup, like, can you imagine how long that would be? Um, I'm also thinking of the Disney of it all, right? Like, I think one of the mm. reasons why I feel that Moon Knight could have been better is, you know, all of the major scenes that there was gore and blood, like he was blacked out. Uh, and so yeah. we only woke up and saw the bio, you know, the, the results of it. So I, I felt that that might have been a barrier if they were to pursue that route um, of just like a massacre of gods while a 10 year old is trying to, you know, a parent is with their 10 year old watching so I, I i personally as a 28 year old man would love to see that and see that major fight scene um but yeah now that you're saying that i i feel that the movie was kind of 80 percent talking <laughs> and 20 percent of the actual fight scenes and, and uh um gore actually being on, on screen and uh what I what I really liked about him was how kind of down to earth and, and real he was, especially in the the first 
scene of like you could understand where he was coming from um you could understand his intentions and why he was on this route even of course we don't agree with him um some folks might um <laughs> uh, but yes and then fast fast forwarding to um the the god scene to see him show up and especially like a fight with him and zeus i think would have been really cool to, to see zeus use that thunderbolt um but yeah, I, I also am thinking about potential uh, losses of gods and how, you know, if we had other movies and installments of Thor, or if they wanted to explore this Greek mythology, um, that might be a continuity issue of just like, let's say they want to mm. pursue like something with Ares, the god of war and, and something like that. But, oh, he died in Thor, <laughs> Thor 4. And so now right. we have to resurrect him through the multiverse or, or what, what may be. So I feel like there's a lot that they can do with this Greek mythology, even though they ha they didn't do that much outside of the 15 minutes that they were in that in that city. Yeah, it, some some vehicle to figure out how we could have gotten more. Because really, we got the first half of the movie with Gore was fantastic. The end with him was really good. That like second third or the third of if you split the movie into fourths that like third fourth there you, you i mean he was great he, the acting was great he was kind of just like a weird voldemort character for a little bit at one point though which was a little disappointing i just would have liked to see him do more i think it might have helped the film overall but with that you know and that was really my only my only nitpick i would have liked to have seen more of him other than that i was pretty good do you have any other, because apparently this is just what we're doing, do you have any other nitpicks on the movie and then that and or transition into how you feel about phase four overall? Because that's a big topic right now with everything that's coming out. People have a lot of mixed feelings about phase four, and I think it's a really interesting conversation. So any nitpicks with this movie specifically and then how it ties into this phase of the MCU? Yeah, I, I guess my only nitpick, and let me know if this is, was explained, but in the books with Mjolnir, when um, mm -hmm. Jane was reading it, it I think mm -hmm. said something about health or, you yep. know, the, the yep. Asgardians have health. And so I just assumed the hammer would be healing. And I think that's what it was in the comics too, of just like they yep. were healing her. And so, and I understand why she had to die at the end because it's Natalie Portman and she only signed on to only do one movie. Um, and so it just, to, to hear that she was actually dying and the hammer was killing her, it just kind of felt like, like what's going on is it healing well of course it wasn't yeah. healing but like that's what we were told but now here we're being told that her using the hammer and becoming the mighty sword is actually killing her so um but of course it leads to a great emotional payoff of you know thor saying goodbye and, and um, um him adopting love so uh, that would probably be my major nitpick um but uh <laughs> i love the this isn't a nitpick i just have to mention it korg and his love story love it um and it's probably the opposite of what they did in umbrella academy where they made it like subtle um and you know they they handled it well just like oh yeah here's a marriage of two male whatever korg is um aliens so <laughs> just um i did i did like that scene though yeah um there's there's a lot to unpack there so so um the the now the jane foster Mjolnir in the comics i believe Mjolnir is supposed to, when she is in possession of Mjolnir and she's the mighty Thor, the cancer is essentially like stopped. Like it, it right. stops it from spreading. 
So as long as she's not going back to human form Jane Foster, it's not spreading. I think the movie having it be, oh, she's good while she's the mighty Thor, but as soon as, but the hammer is actually draining her human life force, or it's actually progressing her cancer more quickly. I don't think that is completely to the comics, but like you said, they needed some sort of vehicle to unfortunately speed up that process a, a little bit. Um, but I think for the most part, yeah, you, you, you have it correct there. Right. In terms of those, uh, and then, those. Oh, sorry. Last thing, Hercules. Hercules. Uh, Roy oh, we'll Kent. get there. It don't was, don't uh, worry. Oh, don't, spoiler. We're, we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in terms of the moment with Korg, yeah, it, his entire race. It seems so. It seems like when he's going back through his story and his background, he's talking about his dad's. Uh, he and then he talks about his future with his. I don't know if he said husband, but him and a guy named Dwayne, Dwayne the Rock, uh, um, you know, creating their little lava rock babies was hilarious. Um, a lot of really in your face nods towards the LGBTQ plus community, which was really cool. I mean, I even tried to look this back up. It, it seems that it's it's unclear for sure, um, but like Heimdall's child potentially being trans. Let me see what. Their, their their name was Astrid and is now going mm -hmm. by Axel now that they live in oh, New yeah. Asgard. So that was one that like it wasn't completely clear. I tried to go back and see if in previous movies they said like he had a daughter or anything like that, but I couldn't find that. Um, but obviously Tessa Thompson and, and Valkyrie, you know, we we know her backstory in terms of being bi, and um, they mentioned that in this film. Korg, yeah, having a relationship with a man, another male rock species was really cool. Um, and, and then the whole, you know, Thor, Mjolnir, and, and Stormbreaker, uh, potentially, potentially male or, or you know, non-binary, I don't know. So right. just a lot of really cool things that, that Taika Waititi put in there. So, so definitely shout out to that. Um, and yeah, it just made the movie that much more fun. All right, you mentioned you brought up this the stinger, so let's get into that. Um, first, our mid credit stinger opens with Zeus, who is shockingly not dead, um, ha having a little monologue about humanity not fearing the gods anymore, and he's going to send his son Hercules to go take care of that. Um, Hercules wonderfully is played by Brett Goldstein uh, of Ted Lasso fame. Uh, Roy Kent is there, snarl and all. Um, Muhammad, how do you feel seeing Roy Kent? I mean, he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. He's Roy <laughs> Kent, uh, and he's also Hercules. So, how, how do you feel seeing him in the MCU? Yeah, again, I don't want to be cynical, and so I won't be. Uh, I just, it was just like, we're like, I was, I don't know what I was expecting in this mid credit sequence, but it definitely wasn't Roy Kent as Hercules. <laughs> so, um, super excited. I'm just very curious to see, see where they will take him. Um, like, will this be in the next Thor movie? If there is a Thor movie or if there will, um, if he's going to show up somewhere else. Um, but just the fact that there's going to be more Greek mythology, I think there's, there's so much room for that. And I think especially in, um, uh, like, I, I think that that's kind of like there's the God of War series that has got the Ares and a bunch of the gods in it. And, and so I think there are, there's a lot of room for, uh, for uh, Greek mythology, Hercules, and, and to see him interact with 
the other MCU characters, I think it's going to be great. Just to see him and Chris Hemsworth even go after, go at it, I think will will be a, a a really fun time. So I'm um, excited to see kind of where they where they take this. I just sent you a picture of him. I mean, it's perfect. Brett, Brett Goldstein is a great Hercules. I'm really excited. And yeah, I think, see, isn't it perfect? He's got the chest hair. He's got everything. I think, I think Brett Goldstein playing off of Chris Hemsworth is going to be hilarious. However they do it, if they're adversaries the whole time, if they eventually team up, like whatever happens, I think that energy is going to be really, really funny. And I think it's going to have some strong loki thor potential in terms of the way they play off each other so i'm really excited about that i don't i've gotten past the oh this was fan servicey so i'm not a fan no i'm a fan you know be in service to me all you want i I love it um post credits end credit scene jane foster is accepted to valhalla for dying in battle as the mighty thor Uh, she's greeted by idris elba playing heimdall once again um do you think that First off, what did you think of it? I thought it was really, really cool. A little nod to her character, nod to the right. Mighty Thor. Are, are they going to try and convince Natalie Portman to come back for some sort right. of Valhalla series? Or like they, they get brought back to life or, or something like that? Or was this just kind of a nod like, hey, Idris Elba, Natalie Portman, thanks for being with Thor from day one. And now go celebrate in Valhalla. Well, I think the placement of it makes the fan think that she's going to come back. Uh but I don't think she will. And, and I think that this should have been placed at the very end of the movie rather than post-credits. Um, I, I personally don't think she's going to come back, um, but it does leave the door open, right? It's just like, if you did want to come back, like we can easily pull you back in and, um, you know, have this side adventure, have this side TV show, devote X amount of time and we'll pay you this much. Um, and so personally i think that this is the end for her and i I think it was a nice little tribute at the the end you know everyone waits for the post credits and so to have that as the final shot to the final thing as people walk out of the movie theater um you know it's not as gracious as the the end game post credits where they signed off the characters right Um, but i thought that that's kind of what they were aiming to do is to to give her the send-off of just like she was proven worthy and and died in battle and this and it's going to Valhalla like they were mentioning throughout the movie. Right. Yeah. Really cool. If for some reason she has part in five years and she wants to come back to the franchise, it does leave the door open, like you said, but more likely than not, it's just a cool little nod and, and thank you to those characters and those actors. Let's get into the phase four of it all. Um, we obviously didn't have many nits to pick with the movie itself. We would have liked to have seen some other things, but we weren't upset about it at all. How do we feel this this goes into phase four? Because obviously the big thing fans are having issues with right now is there doesn't seem, there's not an obvious direction to phase four. I think that's a little like, woe is me, I need everything like spoon fed to me. Where are we going with this as, as a fan? I've been happy with most of the things they put out in this phase. I'm happy with the movies. I'll trust that. Feige and the gang, we talked about this with Multiverse Madness. I'm going to trust that they're going to kind of figure it out. But fans obviously want to know what's happening. How do you feel about the the whole Phase 4 thing? People not knowing where we're going, not having a big bad yet, working in the TV shows and the movies together. Um, Did this movie make you feel good about it, less good about it? Or are you just kind of like, whatever, man, we're just going to watch the movies and and keep it pushing? 
Yeah, I think for me, I, I'm really looking for that connecting piece of, of where does this all go? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I know we may not get that answer for a while, um, but I think where my mind is at is I feel like a little overwhelmed. Like there's been so much content in the past year and a half, right? Like since February, 2021, when WandaVision came out and now July, 2022, there's been what, six movies, seven TV shows, how much content is that? Like how many hours have I invested in this? And, and I think that's where the frustration lies, right? Well, not only is there an oversaturation of, of comic books and, you know, even like other forms of media that incorporate comic books, you know, we talked about Umbrella Academy, DC Comics, right? Like th- this stuff is out there. Um, and so I, I, I can kind of see from that perspective of like, I've devoted, I've watched everything and I don't know where this is going. And so why am I investing my time and my money? Um, and so where I, I'm also thinking is, it's, it's also kind of like big corporate, right? Like they have the strategy in mind, of just like, let's keep releasing this content. We got to get those Disney plus numbers up, right? We have to, let's do it weekly so that you have to say subscribe. Let's, you know, box office, all that good stuff. So um, I think that's kind of where I get get frustrated. Like, are they releasing all of this content just to promote this service? Which the answer is yes, right? Like they, they have this platform um, and, and, you know, they're going to release all their Marvel and Star Wars content. And so you, you mentioned it with Loki where like, that's what it, that's what we feel that like the, the peak of this could be, right? Like in that, doesn't have the budget of a Thor or of a Doctor Strange. And and I thought they executed that very well. Um, And so I I think I'm looking for some continuity. Um, Of course, not not knowing when that will be is is also frustrating, Um, but also for my time that I've invested and probably what other folks have invested to kind of pay off, right? Like and I know we're not going to get that big Infinity War Endgame moment like next year or the next few years, um, but I think that's what we're looking for. And I know I know that's unrealistic to ask for, um, but if you're asking an audience to devote hundreds of hours within the span of a year and a half, I think that's where that frustration boils up. And for, for it to not pay off in another movie, uh, in the third movie of the the year with the fourth coming out, um, I think that's where that that frustration is kind of coming from. That makes sense. And I will say when I'm when I'm comparing phase four to the other phases, I think back to because really, yeah, there's phase one, phase two, phase three, which is the infinity saga of Thanos as the big bad. I view so I view phase and when you when you break it down that way, I'm just looking here just at each phase. Here's phase one. Here's the list of movies. There were six movies in total in phase one. Iron Man, Incredible Hulk. Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, First Avenger, and then we got the Avengers. So by the sixth movie, we were getting a team-up payoff, and they were fighting Loki, right? And each of those had the stinger of um, Nick Fury coming to recruit them to this big mission. So like we, while the movies didn't connect until the sixth one, there was an interwoven theme that each of them had. Thor 11 Thunder, like you said, is the sixth movie of this phase. And right now, all six of them feel very, very separate, save for Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. So in that sense, it's 
it, it is very separate. It is very different than what we've gotten. For me, the way I look at it is I look at the first three phases all together from, from Iron Man one to end game, right? When, when Tony says, I am Iron Man, and then Pepper says, and now you can rest that to me, I'm thinking of one big thing. Phase four is the start of a whole new situation to me. So we have to reset from Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, and get almost all new characters. Yeah, Thor's back, who's there from the beginning. Spider-Man's back, who we saw in you know phase two. But we're bringing in Shang-Chi, we're bringing in Miss Marvel, we're bringing in a bunch of new characters, the Eternals. So we have some, some new groundwork to lay. And the thing that we love most about the MCU was the time that they took to do that. Now, I was saying when Endgame came out, and even Infinity War, it's going to be really hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Once you go this big, and once you do this with the full Avengers team, it's going to be hard to go back to your friendly neighborhood X, or origin story Y, or self-sustained movie Z. It's really hard to do that, and I think we're seeing that. I think they better pull it off when they do, um, especially because this is a Phase four is so long. I mean, phase three was the only other thing close to it. And that was three, six, nine, 11 movies. But that obviously included Endgame, Infinity War, Spider-Man Homecoming, um, Civil War. So four really big high profile movies. And what did I say? It was 11, 11 movies. So we have a long way to go because here, so here's what we have had in phase four already. Black Widow, Shang-Chi, The Eternals, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Thor, Love and Thunder. Those are just the movies. We still have Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Guardians of the Galaxy, the Marvels, Fantastic Four, and Blade are supposed to still be in, in, this, uh, in this phase. We'll see if that actually happens. Kevin Feige, they, they recently came out of their little Marvel headquarter mcu retreat retreat (laughs) planning session yeah exactly um and he has said like this picture will be painted but it's to fans essentially it's still unclear like fans don't know where the end of phase four is right now so we really don't know how long this is going to be and yeah eventually we're gonna have to see this get tied in and it's it is hard to figure out where that's gonna come but i have a couple of ideas because when, when you when you face Thanos and you do the Infinity War and you do all that, there's only a few places you can go where it feels like you're still getting bigger. And, and that's further in space or that's like, you know, alternate timelines, right? And that's really what we're exploring. So the multiverse and going further in space, We in terms of what movies are dealing with the multiverse, we've had Doctor Strange, we've had Spider-Man, and Ant-Man Quantumania is obviously going to be doing that. So that's where we can get into... Obviously, what we saw in Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, see alternate timelines, like reset things, start things back over that we've already done with characters we already know. Go further out into space than, than we've been even you know, with the Guardians with Thor. We're getting more Guardians. We're getting more Thor, but also the Eternals we saw do a huge you know, space-related thing. Um, the Marvels movie that's coming out is going to be doing that. Shang-Chi, if you really stretch it in terms of where you think the Ten Rings might have come from, you you can include and tie into that. Fantastic Four uh, can do both of those things. Blade is is a little bit more out there. I think that movie might end up being a little like Spider-Man for for Phase 3 or or, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home um, after Phase 3. So we'll see on that. But 
they have directions they can go. And I think right now they're really just seeing, feeling it out. Okay, let's try out space. Let's try out the multiverse. What are people feeling? And then when Fantastic Four comes, we're going to go in that direction with Fantastic Four as the vehicle, whatever it is. So unfortunately, yeah, we just have to wait and see, but it is a very long process. But as long as they keep putting out good movies, I'm willing to just grade based on the movie themselves and not think so much about where's this movie taking me. I think if we're going to have any enjoyment in it, we need to make sure we're doing that. Um, Because yeah, if we just wonder at the end of every movie, at the end of Shang-Chi, Thor, Doctor Strange, but where is this all going? Yeah, we're going to be pretty bummed out. And uh, (laughs) you're you're feeling cynical tonight. And I think we both are being nitpicky a little bit tonight, but uh, that's not the best way to enjoy, enjoy content. What I will say is I do, I have appreciated uh, the different directors kind of taking uh, like their own vision into these movies, at least in the past year or so, you know, with Eternals and um, Dr. Strange with Sam Raimi's vision um, and his directorial style, and of course, Taika in, in Thor Love and Thunder. So it's cool to see them getting getting a little bit more freedom rather than the, the old, uh, we want you to do this movie this way and this way only and done you know so it it is cool to see that uh directorial freedom come out a little bit more owner of the golden state warriors joe lakeup once said he wants to be the san antonio spurs type dynasty not not necessarily he didn't call them out by name but not necessarily the los angeles lakers where it's you win three in a row or you you know you win four in in you know eight years and then you're done the spurs had a nice 22 year sustained run of, of really great wins couple championships along the way that's what he wants um i think marvel might be feeling something a little bit similar they had phases one two three which are championships 82 and 0 16 and 0 in the playoffs all of that phase four might be and you know what steph broke his hand uh clay tore his achilles and his acl draymond is just old uh we're, we're gonna take a little back seat we're gonna recoup we're gonna find jordan pool we're gonna find jonathan kaminga we're gonna bring back andrew wiggins and you know reclamate him that's Thor in in this run and then phases five through eight we're going to win championships again and we're just going to keep this thing rolling um there you go guys uh it's the Simon Short podcast we we tied (laughs) sports back into it a little bit for you um but but genuinely yeah I think I think that might be what they're thinking yeah because phases one through one through three you meant you said there was a great direction all the way through it had the same tone almost through every single movie Phase four, we're getting these different directors, different creators. We're feeling things out. We're trying new stuff. Maybe phase five is where we really start to pick things back up. Again, that might not be what you want to hear as a fan. I'm sure Warriors fans weren't thrilled when, you know, Steph sat out a whole year and the team didn't trade a bunch of picks to, to get another, you know, all-star type player. But you know what? You'll be happy at the end. So maybe that's where they're going with it. Last thing here, Mohammed. let's let's rank the movies here in, in phase four. I found this to be a little bit easier than the TV shows. Oh. We did the TV shows earlier. I felt that was pretty difficult. I feel like this is pretty easy. Again, you probably have a couple that you could go, you know, in a couple different directions, but I think it's a little more clear. So what, what's your ranking from, from six to one in phase four here? All right. Locking in Eternals at number six. <laughs> easy. <laughs> uh, yep. Easy. I just is doing way too much. <laughs> um, Number five, I had Black Widow. Um, I can lock that one in. Um, Number four, I think Shang-Chi. 
Um, okay. Although I did enjoy it, I, I need that's that's one that I need to rewatch. But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, based on the the recent ones that just came out, uh, I think this one it, it gets a little tricky here. Um, I think I'm gonna lock in Doctor Strange at number three. Not lock in Doctor Strange at number three can be interchanged with Thor: Love and Thunder at number two. Mm -hmm. um, I think those two were, were were stronger than the others, and then Spider Man: No Way Home at the end I think was was probably yeah. the best one. Yeah. yeah, I think that's fair. I think Eternals, yeah, it it just really did not deliver. I think when you when you look at some some MCU misses, I think that's very clearly one. Black Widow, I liked, I thought was good, but I think based on when just when it came out, it too yeah. little, too late. Uh, it you didn't know, seem it, relevant anymore. It didn't have a lot of stakes. Now, obviously, we're we're going to get a, a great new character out of that movie um being elena i think that's great but i can't rate it just based on that it just it was a nice send-off for scarlett johansson for black widow uh, that so that is great i enjoyed the movie nothing is wrong with the movie itself but just its placement what it's doing here in phase four it's just not it's not taking us anywhere adding anything to us i'm gonna skip ahead i'm gonna skip over the middle which is yeah the muddy part spider-man uh being number one clear choice fantastic movie i think it pushes the mcu in a direction i think it's you know great fan service great moments tremendously well acted and, and written um clear number one two through four is is tough this is where i think it's pretty interchangeable i have dr strange four just because i had a lot of nitpicks with that one a lot of little things just bugged me again the trope of Oh, Wanda, you know, is the mom who lost her kids and now went bad. That that threw me off for a little bit. I felt there were other directions they could have taken it to just make it better. Um, I mean, we did a whole podcast episode on like, hey, let's rewrite this movie. If you don't do that right away, if there's not like enough stuff to nitpick. So everybody listening, if you like what mom and I are doing with, with uh, the fandom stuff and you haven't listened to that episode, go back in the archives, find our WandaVision episode. It was pretty fun. Um, but I'm going to put Doctor Strange at four. So that leaves me with, with Shang-Chi and Thor Love and Thunder here at two and three. This is the one I struggled with most, and I'm thinking about changing it right now in the moment, but I'm not going to. I have Thor at three. So I'm with you. I have Thor above Doctor Strange, but I have it at three below Shang-Chi just because I think this movie could have been a lot better, and I wish it had done that one different thing in, in terms of more gore the God Butcher in it. And it did just kind of feel like, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but it is a point less than Shang-Chi for being its own thing, right? right. Shang-Chi is a new introduction to Marvel. I think what they're going to do with the Ten Rings and, and what they did with the Wong credit scenes um, with, with Captain Marvel, with Hulk being there, I think it's going to push Marvel in a direction, which gives it some bonus points. I really like the story. I really like the reclamation they did of Iron Man 3 with it. I really liked our new characters that got introduced in the movie. I really enjoyed that movie. Were there some little things that maybe were wrong with it? Sure. But I thought its, it's hits really made up for its misses um, in a way that is, is new and exciting, whereas Thor was going up against Ragnarok a little bit for itself, which made it tough. It didn't do anything new. It's not pushing the MCU anywhere. It was just a good movie, um, which again, 
doesn't mean it. I think it, get, it was bad or that it sucked or that it was, you know, bad for the MCU. I just liked what Shang-Chi did better. So Spider-Man, Shang-Chi, Thor, Doctor Strange, Black Widow, Eternals is where I'm going to sit. Um, Muhammad, any last MCU thoughts, Thor thoughts, Phase 4 thoughts? Uh, I didn't mention it. You did, thankfully. The, the scene filling in the gaps with him and Jane's relationship, I think, were awesome. I thought that was a really, really cool montage. Um, would love to see more of that as we get back into, like, pre-blip type things that we just kind of, like, skipped over um, with some of these characters as we were dealing with Thanos and, you know, the, the universe being snapped away and stuff like that. Um, any other closing MCU thoughts? Uh, just that I'm looking forward to the final few movies of this phase. I think it's Ant-Man, but Ant-Man and the Wasp with Kang. Like, I think that's, I don't want to set myself up to have these high expectations, but I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited for the Black Panther movie coming out later this year. Um, and and so I I think it'll be a fun ride, you know, even though we may not know where we're going, I think even the, uh, the, the connectivity piece and, and, in the small sense of knowing that a character from Loki is going to be in the, the Ant-Man uh, movie, uh, little things like that. Um, the, the few connective tissues that we do have, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to. And of course, when it all does intersect, just to kind of see where that ends up going, whether that's a big phase four movie or whether that's later down the road, uh, just to kind of see where everything does eventually intersect um, and to see kind of like more of the collaboration between the different movies and the continuity it's always fun to see those little cameos very well said um yeah i think that's it we're just gonna have to wait and see and you know it's all about the friends we make along the way yeah the the movies we have upcoming uh are going to be we do have black panther Wakanda forever ant-man and the wasp quantum mania guardians of the galaxy volume three the marvels and then supposedly fantastic four and blade so we will just have to wait and see on that um, Muhammad, thank you so much for being here again this week, man. I love doing this with you. Um, everyone be on the lookout. We're, you know, still in the middle of the summer. So maybe some more episodes like this upcoming. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Simon Short Podcast. Again, the Simon Short Podcast is now available not only on Apple and Spotify, but Google and Amazon as well. So please go rate, subscribe, check it out on, on all of those platforms. Really appreciate everybody for listening. Have fun. Be safe, everybody. Thank you.